directors who've influenced you. Definitely, I, I would assume you've seen the work of action directors, American and foreign, but I'd, I'd be interested in directors who don't do horror and um, science fiction horror type films, uh, action type films, who would be the other directors besides, I know you've said in different interviews, Sam Peckinpah, Dan, Don Siegel, who would be the, let us say, quote unquote, art directors you're inf influenced by? If I had to say just one name in America, it would be John Cassavetes. Wow, that's fascinating. We're big fans of John Cassavetes on the show. How were you influenced by John Cassavetes? I'd be interested because he made family dramas. Uh, it's a two-part answer. I certainly don't have the delusion that I'm anywhere near his mastery of what it was that John Cassavetes set out to do, but it's even difficult to explain to you what I think it is that he set out to do and mastered, but I'll try. My perspective of what Cassavetti set out to do and accomplished masterfully is the subtle effect that a human being, when encountering another human being or a set of circumstances, the subtle, complex, confusing, real way in which they slowly are affected by their new circumstances or another human being. So when I watch a Cassavetti's film, I am awed by the final understanding that human beings can um, subtly change just in the course of a simple conversation. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hey. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. You guys see the trailer for Abigail? No. no. Nothing about Abigail. Oh, the new Radio Silence movie. Okay. Remember when they dropped out of the Scream 7? As was, everyone has now. Well, yes. We'll get to that. Um <laughs> They they were working on a uh, a horror movie, a monster movie. It was reported they were working on a, a monster movie for Universal. That monster movie turns out to be Abigail, which is coming out I think in May. But the trailer is out there, and it stars um, one of the stars is uh, Melissa Bar Barrera Barrera from Scream. Yes, it's an interesting trailer. I, I, it, it's about a uh, a group of people, Barrera being one who kidnap a little girl for ransom. And hold her hostage at a big house, and it turns out that little girl is a vampire. Oh, so it's the, I was going to say, what universal monster is so it's playing on the vampire? Yeah, which is a weird trailer because it shows you. I would think you would want to leave that reveal to discover in the movie, but they just show you in the trailer that that's the twist. I have seen so many trailers recently that just tell you the whole movie yeah and i can't stand it every single one i watched like for that new one with um it was like that new horror movie i think it was on like netflix or something with like the kid from sex education and like the um that weird like food sex movie that we oh, watched Flux Gourmet. thank you yep um he was in it and i was like oh that looks interesting and then literally the whole movie yeah the all fun and games one. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just the whole i was like well i guess i don't need to watch this film now i wish i had watched the trailer because i mentioned last week that i'd watch that yeah uh and yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wish i'd seen the trailer and just said all right that was three and a half minutes and i know the movie because i made it through all 80 something minutes of it or whatever yeah. no i lucked well, out i with haven't that seen one. the trailer so maybe i should just go watch it no don't <laughs> don't just watch the trailer i think it's interesting because I think sometimes you want to make sure that the right people see it. And just for example, with Abigail, 
if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know it was a horror movie necessarily. Like if they tried to hide that, that this is about a vampire, then maybe they feel like they would be missing out on people who would go to see it if they did know that. I don't know. It's trailers. Is, that's an art form. It's an interesting yeah. art form. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> think about when you make a song. Your song isn't necessarily like a three and a half minute preview of like your entire album. You're not really beholden to that. Trailer's right. a whole different beast where you got yeah. a few minutes to be like, all right, I got to pull you in. Right. But you gotta, I got to decide how much to show you, how much not to. Right. And I think for a movie like that, they just must have decided that people need to know this is about a vampire. Um, speaking of Christopher Landon, who dropped out of Scream 7 and left it adrift, he has a new project in the works called Big Bad. It's a werewolf movie. You seen this? I heard about it. I haven't seen anything. Based on, I guess, based on a short story called Big Bad, and it's going to be, the screenplay is going to be written by the author of the short story. Looks interesting. I like a good werewolf movie. Yeah, me too. I love werewolves. Yeah, when's the last time we got one of those? Been a while. Yeah. Probably Werewolves Within was mm -hmm. probably... Yeah. Um, we talked about Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is kind of a fake werewolf movie. I, I liked it's it. great, though. Even Werewolves Within is, it's a werewolf movie, but it's, it's more of a... Um, I don't know. It's, it's more like of a, a knives out or something. Yeah, it's more of a whodunit. Yeah, general whodunit. You guys saw Exorcist Deceiver has been shelved. Sure David, has. David Gordon Green is out. I think he'd listen to us. I was going to say, might... listen to the podcast. And he's or like, everyone else on the planet. <laughs> Are you saying I didn't have an original idea? David Gordon Green is out. So that's on hold. I'm kind of curious. My only question about that, that whole thing, they paid $400 million for the distribution rights to Exorcist. $400 million. First one didn't do anything, already scrapped. I'm just curious what the third movie was going to be called, because the first one was Exorcist Believer. The second one was to be called Exorcist Deceiver. Exorcist the Lever. Believer. Receiver. That's what I'm wondering. I really want to know. I just said the Lever, because David Gordon Green left. Oh, yours was the funniest one. I don't understand. Yeah. Oh, the Lever. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> or like the audience I mean it, it, it describes a number of things going on with the exorcist right I'm really now. curious what it was called do you guys see um, Mia Goth has been sued anti-West also for supposedly she kicked an extra on the set of Maxine Spicy. yeah I well, wish I was that extra <laughs> <laughs> what do you have the full story yeah uh, he was playing he was playing a role where he was laying like in a ditch or in a shallow grave or something and she was supposed to walk over him this is his story and she hit him accidentally with her foot and they said hey well and he said oh watch out you hit me and they said well watch out don't hit that guy and then the second take she kicked him like oh. more emphatically this is his story okay. and then also according to him confronted him later in the bathroom and made fun of him and mocked him for being a baby mm. <laughs> my god it's all just of this sounds okay <gasps> so in love so in love <laughs> I can just all I can see is Infinity Pool. That's literally <laughs> her. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't Jace. playing a character. <laughs> Baby. You say so many things that would yeah, just I'll save you the editing. <laughs> this week, it's Kiyoshi Kurosawa week. The Japanese filmmaker I didn't even know I needed. We're gonna start with the nineteen ninety seven film called Cure. Kanichi Takabe, a Tokyo metropolitan police detective, is involved in the investigation of a bizarre series of violent killings by seemingly random perpetrators. In each case, the murderers have been caught close to the scene of the crime. Each one has mutilated his or her victim by carving a large X into the neck or chest of the deceased. 
Although all the perpetrators readily confessed and remember their deeds, none seems to have substantial motives or explanations for their actions. Takabe is at a loss for answers until he finds a man arrested near the scene of the latest murder, who has a strange effect on everyone who comes into contact with him. Takabe starts a series of interrogations to determine the man's connection with the killings. This is one of my new favorite movies of all time. Ooh. I'm totally obsessed with this movie. I had never heard of this until a few weeks ago. I saw somebody talking about it online. Thank you, online. I follow a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of film lovers and horror lovers, and I saw something about this movie. Looked it up. It was on Criterion. That's all go for me. Criterion just did a restoration of this in 2022, so I think that's one reason it's coming back around on the radar a little bit. It looks amazing, and there's a ton of bonus content on Criterion, interviews with the director and the lead actors, and there's even like a video essay, all this stuff. This is a movie that asks the question, who are you? And answers, there is no real you. <laughs> this movie does something that I love, and it's not that common where... I feel like it's more like uh, an album or something that you, it's not just something you watch one time. You you sort of get into it and you watch it again and again. I've watched it three times just in the past week. And every time you watch it, at least for me, every time I watch it, I like it more and I see more and I understand more and I just want to see it again after each viewing. Kind of reminded me um, of Cache a little bit. A lot of things about this remind me of Michael Haneke. This very slowly, it's very deliberately paced, almost glacially paced, I would say. There are parts that are, it, it hypnotizes you. It really does. And, and that's appropriate because of the story. So not only is the story concerned with mesmerism and hypnotism and identity and all this stuff, it's kind of like it's doing that to you while you're watching it. You are being hypnotized to the point where you almost get lost. And it's almost hard to, you know, you miss things just because it's so quiet it's so slow there's almost no score the sound design is really subtle there are a lot of things going on with the sound but it's not usually music and it just kind of puts you in this trance and i just keep wanting to go back to it reminded me a lot of the 90s uh, american uh, serial killer movies like seven i mean this is kind of a a version of seven to me or silence of the lambs very hannibal lecter with this um the antagonist here, all that stuff, Summer of Sam. There's kind of an explosion. I think that may be one reason that this got in the door. This was um, Kurosawa's first movie that was screened internationally. He had been working in uh, what's called V-Cinema, which is just direct-to-video Japanese genre movies, gangster stuff. He did a movie called Yakuza Taxi, for example, and he did a ton of those movies. He did some of the pink theater stuff that we've talked about, and kind of um, erotic Japanese stuff. And so he had made a ton of those. This was his first breakout that was an international hit. It wasn't released in the States until 2001. And a lot of people consider this kind of the first J-horror movie or the movie that ushered in, this This movie's success ushered in that whole era. This is 97, so even Audition, I think, was 99 after this. I think that kind of opened the door uh, for Ringu and, and all the rest that we've talked about. And uh, I, I could go on and on about how much I love this, but it would get pretty redundant. I don't even know if I can really do this movie justice. So let's get right to it. Kat, what did you think of Cure? Ooh, nothing like a good old-fashioned uh, Japanese horror movie to make you feel a little dumb. <laughs> 
because I was <laughs> a bit confused. I had to succumb to Googling uh, to figure out what was going on in this film oh, it, early on. But then I'm glad I did because then I was like, oh, okay. Because I thought this guy was just like going around and murdering people and then like somehow framing other people for the murders. Right. So I was like, oh, it's kind of boring, like whatever. But then once I realized it took that like psychological like warfare hypnosis kind of a turn and I was like very into it. Like the story unfolds, you start connecting like these characters that this guy's having interactions with, like he chats with that doctor and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, that's the doctor peeling that guy's face (laughs) off. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Like you start realizing like what's going on. It definitely pulls you in and starts to make sense as the story's moving. I thought I would get flack for saying it, but I absolutely got seven vibes out of this movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. Very much like the cops trying to solve the case. Yeah. And then it's like the crazy, really smart guy eluding capture. And just like the vibe, like the cinematography just had this kind of eerie kind of a situation. Even though I feel like most of it takes place in the day, but it just like felt like super dark. The air felt thick just watching this movie for yeah. me. Just like being alone in my house watching it is just like a heaviness to it, which I think is very, it, it works for this film because I think that's what you're supposed to feel. Like you're supposed to kind of feel a little confused and like trying to figure it out. Very effective. Um, I liked this movie. I didn't dislike this movie. I just was confused yeah. at first. But that's why we do it, you know? I knew I was going to come in here and I was going to get explained. <laughs> Not mansplained. I was going to get some hot takes um, from people. (laughs) But yeah, I just like every, like around every corner, I was kind of just anticipating something to happen. So it was just like a very suspenseful movie because, you know, the detectives, you know, figuring out like all this, you know, hypnotism stuff. And you're kind of just like waiting for him to succumb to it too. And then like, is he gonna, is it now? When's it going to happen? And then the ending happens and you're like, yup. It was just like a nice little bow on it, um, but not in like a the story's done kind of a way, just like a, oh, yeah. the story's going to keep going and yeah. going and going kind of a way without, did I can't, did they make a sequel? I can't imagine that they did. Not that I know of. No. Well, thank God, because this is like the perfect, perfect little ending. Yeah. Very into this one. I had never heard of this. I had never seen it, obviously. This is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is... This is up there. This is now in probably my top 10 of all the movies that we've done. Nice. Uh, This hit me the same way that Killing of a Sacred Deer did. Good Night, Mommy. You know, we did the Good Night, Mommy episode, and then Trent, you and I did a Patreon where we just went off for like 45 additional minutes. Yeah. I could do that with this movie. Same. I could literally talk about this for hours on end. Yeah. Yeah. it's almost too much. It's, it's, it's way kind, too it's much. It's hard to know where to start. I honestly. know exactly. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you either have to say everything or say nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. This is incredible. It's it is worth a ton of watches, but it's also not something that you just throw on casually. You have to be yeah. paying attention. You know, this movie asks a lot of you. It is yeah. very slow paced. It's pretty dry. Uh, Dave corrected me today. We were just debating a little bit before we recorded. I was like, "There's no gore in this," and you remind me, there's a lot of gore, but that is one of the best parts of this that makes it such like an influential horror movie, I think. You think of all the best. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silence of the Lambs, like you don't even think about that stuff because the rest of the movie is so good. The psychological yeah. aspects of it, all of that. I'm actually kind of bummed. I didn't think of Seven. 
I definitely thought of Silence of the Lambs just because you have this antagonist that's just being a dick. He's getting in like, your, he's, he's getting revealed every... pretty early on, kind of yeah. like you know Silence of the Lambs. And you just have somebody that's fucking with the cops. It's getting in your head. This takes it to a whole yeah. different level. I started watching this and was just like, okay, so dude beats his girlfriend or wife or somebody over the head with the pipe. He's washing blood off in the shower. Cops are here. Okay, we got a pretty standard procedural here. Right. Mm-hmm. What's what's the twist? You know, okay, yeah, there's twist after twist after twist. And you guys might shit on me, but for some reason, this reminded me when it got into, like, the asylum scene. So when our antagonist is revealed, there's a lot of uh, hospital scenes. Mm. I started thinking of In the Mouth of Madness. Hmm. Which, pretty polarizing Carpenter flick. I've never met anyone that's like, yeah, it's either like, I love that movie or that movie's terrible. I bet a lot of people feel the same way about this movie. This is a far superior film. But it's very much, at some point, maybe not on the first watch, but definitely on the second, and then that's the reason I went for a third, you start questioning everything. So it goes from... A seemingly like slasher procedural, procedural with a twist. Yes. And then the next time you watch it, you start questioning every single scene that you're watching. Yeah. What is real and what isn't. Yeah. And then the third time I watched it, I was literally just, that's when I got to like goodnight mommy level. And I was like, okay, I got theories and theories for days on this. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I guess we'll see how long Trent lets us go today. Um, but yeah, this is now one of one of my favorite movies that we've ever done on the pod. This is, and I had a horrible, nice. horrible week leading up to this week. Um, weather-wise, had some basement flooding. Uh, I was living in Groundhog Day, where every day I was waking up to just water, and I knew that the next twelve hours were going to consist of that. So this, I, I was, I think, called Dave, and I was like, "All right, I'm about to watch Cure. I've had the worst fucking couple days." So this movie this better be good. This better be good. <laughs> this better take me and this is exactly what I needed. Like it could I could not have been more primed for something that was just a hundred percent escapism. Yeah. Uh, and just yeah. made me think of everything. But and then as I go back to like my horrible tasks in real life, I'm still thinking about it. And I was like I energized. Like just yeah. just really good. Yeah. Well, the kind of day you were having, you you called me to tell me that you rented the HD version, and I was like, it's, it's free on Criterion. <laughs> and it kind of took the wind out of your sails, but I didn't mean to. <laughs> Japanese horror, I, I kind of, it's so all over the place, I never know where to go and what to yeah. check out. Some, some of the stuff is super over the top. It's definitely like a blind spot in my horror uh, knowledge. And especially like, you know, when you go back to this and... I thought when you recommended the other movie first that maybe they were chronological. I just assumed that. And the restoration of this one, it looked actually better than so much better. the it's other amazing. one did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, they did a great job. And, and yeah. also it had, it did have gore. There wasn't a blood packet on the entire set of the other movie. Yeah, yeah. And this movie starts right off Wham. with a bloody shower scene. Yeah. There's a bunch of cool deaths and great looking blood. All the shots did remind me a lot of Henneke or a lot of the uh, German stuff that I've seen, uh, like the older German stuff. And you were talking about killing of a sacred deer. I would love to see. I, I don't usually like you know remakes of things, or I don't always like them. But 
Barry Keegan is the hypnotist guy. Like as yeah. soon as he started like tapping people on the forehead and being like inside there, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. that's that should be Barry Keegan as this <laughs> creep. Uh, he's like professional typecast as a creep. I like the way the story uh, laid out a little bit better in this one. And this one actually seemed more mature to me. And just the whole time as I was watching both movies, this one just had a gloss on it that the other one didn't. Yeah. Uh, so it really surprised me that they came at different times. But yeah, yeah, I, I really like this a lot. I thought the... Uh, Takabe. 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 Detective. Yeah. Takabe. Yeah, he was great. I loved the tortured detective. And in this, too deep. He's in too he's deep in to too the deep. case, man. Said that. I'm, surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised he wasn't close to retirement. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> he, didn't, he didn't drink enough. He should have drank True. more. True. Get yes. too old for this shit. Yeah. You have to be like in some apartment with like a neon sign that's like cutting out <laughs> and you're like drinking whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this could have gone there. Yeah. It, it yeah. had that whole detective getting too deep into the case and becoming enmeshed in the case. And that's, that's the whole thing. So this guy... Um, Mamia? Yeah, Mamia. Mamia. This guy Mamia is Mamma Mia. This, this guy this guy you is not I've listened to a couple of podcasts about yeah. this show. You're not the first person to make that joke, I can tell you Sorry. right now. <laughs> so this guy Mamia is going around he has amnesia seemingly. Doesn't doesn't know who he is, doesn't know his name, doesn't know where he is, can't remember anything for more than five minutes. He asks people the same questions over and over. And it's a really it's an incredible performance by a young actor. And there's an interview with him on the Criterion bonus features that's really good. Um, but he just he kind of goes around and he sort of just unzips people, just takes them out of of who they are or seemingly takes them out of who they are. And that, that's kind of the whole question. All of the people that commit the crimes in this movie, you start with the school teacher or you start with, I guess you start with the guy who seemingly was a, he murdered a uh, sex worker, but you have the school teacher, you have a, a beat cop, you have the nurse, and then eventually you have the clinical psychologist and you have the detective. So everybody that's doing these murders, they're all upstanding authoritative figures in society. They're all people that everyone trusts. A school teacher would never do something like that. A nurse would never do something like that. They're all kind of surprises and they all are interrogated after they're, they've done these things and they don't remember anything. They don't understand why they did it. You can't tell them. It really, it reminded me a lot of when people do public apologies for things, whether it's a crime or whether it's some sort of social transgression that they've done. One thing people always say is that's, that's not me. That that's not who I am. That's not re reflective of the real me. Mm -hmm. And th that's kind of what this movie is all about. I mean, that definitely was you. It, it, <laughs> it, it was it was you in that moment. And maybe that's not you today. And that's not who you hope to be in the future. And maybe you won't be. But what what is the real you? Because it was definitely you that did it. And this is kind of question of. Who, 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 what is identity? What does it really mean? Could anyone really do anything if they are properly, you know, unzipped? If, if, uh, Mamia comes around and keeps asking you who you are and, uh, just puts you in this trance and flicks the, um, Zippo lighter and drips the water on the floor. Next thing you know, also each killer has, or at least most of them, have an obvious, um, resentment against people that they, that they murder the cop. In his interrogation, he says he hated the guy, didn't like working with him. You can tell between the two of them that the one guy is more by the book and the other guy is not. The nurse, 
Mamiya gives gives her this whole speech about must be so hard being a woman in this field. Nobody respects you. You're less than a man. They don't think you should do this. You shouldn't be a doctor. And he's just kind of ginning up her resentments the whole time. So yeah, the hand on the back of the head. That was yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't thought, look at me. <laughs> I thought there was going to be like a frailty reveal at the end because I it, it was his victim or the people that succumb to his hypnotism were not the same as the victim. So the people that died, you didn't know much about them. You knew right. that the person that did the crime was pretty much a good person from yes, what you could tell. Exactly. It, uh, an upstanding citizen. But yeah. the person they killed, I thought maybe it would be la- later on revealed that they were bad somehow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also yeah. I thought that the whole thing where he starts asking them about themselves reminded me of uh, Bajo Roja. Where that Definitely. Guy, he, he I was, was thinking like, the same thing under the road. Tell me about yourself. And as soon as he does that, as soon as you start, it's over. Yeah. Oh, yeah, unzip me. <laughs> well, that's why I think, so like the detective, Takabe, he's got all like your kind of procedural cliches. He's got trouble at home. He's got a, right. a buddy on the force who's like a, what, forensic psychologist. Yes. All of this. And everybody has ailments. Yeah. And... I when they started showing him, you know, like you talked about, he's asking the same questions over and over again. He has short term memory loss. Mom, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's all bullshit. Yes, that's just part yeah. of his gimmick. Exactly, part of his quote unquote power, which we could get into. Right. So you're saying like there's no real you, but I think that there is an actual like occult or supernatural force at play here. Th- yes, that's a quest- so one of the question. So to Dave's point, where like you don't know a lot about the people that die. It's because I think what he's doing is he's manipulating people. And when he sees Takabe, I think he sees a formidable like foe, a challenge. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I can't unzip yeah. you like yeah. the way that you say I can't unzip you that easily. So you might be worth yes. you know, I'm really spend some extra time on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> I know I can, but it's gonna be harder. So I think the point is like you saying there's no real you, Dave, like you know more about the person that was, you know, mesmerized. I think it's that, you know, he, he's basically just like, all right, this person's too easy. This person's too easy. He's just kind of, and the people that he's doing this to, I think by the time you watch this enough times, it's, it's clinical. It's in order. Mm. Like, I think that Takabe was a target way before this movie even started. He was just trying to get to him. Yeah, through I think he murders. was trying to get to him. Yeah. Takabe is is a, a character is all about control. This is the the detective. This is the guy that finds the answers. And he he was saying, I need to find the words to explain this case. And and his his partner, or not his partner, but his friend, the clinical psychologist who works with the police department, he's telling him, you can't understand the motive of a crime. Everybody thinks there has to be a reason, or there has to be something they can understand. But you can't. The criminal doesn't even know why they do these things half the time. You can't know. And he's like, I have to know. I have to know. It's almost like I think there's a, an aspect of this where it's almost like Takabe wants to be a mesmer. It's almost like he wants yeah. this power. Yeah. And I think I think that, that Mamiya senses that. Yeah. I yeah. think he's like, this guy doesn't think he does. And that's why he's perfect. Mm. Like, he's going to fight. He's going to fight this tooth and nail. And that's why I say the more that I watch it, the more I start to question even entire scenes. Yeah. Whether they're grounded in reality or not, or or you're watching from the perspective of hypnosis. Yes. The bathroom scene, that doctor, she was like so nice and so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then it just cuts from her getting the 
the business, and then she is in a bathroom just tearing this guy apart. They talk about how he, she took enjoyment. Uh, that she had never seen a naked man before she cut one open, <laughs> right. and she took yeah. pleasure out of this, and yeah. then she was just shredding this guy open. Pulling his face off. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. I think another way this is like Seven is, and I mean, this isn't like, a, to me, this isn't a spoiler movie. You, if, if anything, you'd be well served to listen to somebody that's seen it before you watch it, but the detective and the hero of the movie, yes, he vanquishes the foe, but in doing so, he only finishes the foe's plan. Mm-hmm. He he actually helps. He he fulfills the the villain's desire. Yeah, it's interesting. This movie doesn't have. You mentioned Trent how this kind of ushered in or opened the doors for a lot of the J horror. Yeah, and then certainly like the American remake explosion, uh, which the next film uh, definitely suffered from. But I, I'm curious as to how. I never heard of this because I was right there from audition on. I was immersed and I never heard of this film. I had heard of the other movie, hadn't seen it, which I thought I had. But this one, it's interesting because all the other movies that you think about when you think about Jay, like audition, you think about a, a particular scene. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that cover, all the other, the ring. Uh, the Grudge, like they all have a scene. Specific that, scenes uh, that you think of, yeah. Yep, this one does not, but no. it's a far superior film. Yeah, I think it's in a different those other movies. It's the sum of its parts. And I didn't even think about the whole like bathroom scene and like how gruesome things like that are. None of that really hit hit me. I was well, it's, you so, know, it's, yeah. I was, well, it, you already it, said this. I, I was mesmerized. It's I so was, cold. It's so clinical. There's just so many wide shots. There are a lot of one take, one shot. That both interrogations between Takabe and Mamiya are amazing one shot, one take scenes where the camera just kind of moves around the room and Mamiya almost stalks the detective. It's really interesting how it's shot, but it's not shot in, in an emotional way. So you don't get any kind of sort of payoff from the gore scene. It's just kind of all being presented to you. And to your point about questioning the reality of even the narration of the movie, there is a theory out there that once Takabe, he he comes home at one point, his wife has been having all these um, mental health struggles and he sees her having hung herself. And he keeps flashing back to things that he saw at Mamiya's old apartment. And there's one point where she's served him raw dinner for, uh, uh, mm-hmm. raw beef for dinner and he throws it and he loses it and he picks up the knife there's a theory out there that once he picks up that knife in that scene nothing else is real from there you go to the bus with the clouds you notice when they're yeah. on the bus yeah the clouds are not even going the right way all in the background uh he takes her to the men- mental institution and the doctor says well you don't look so good you look worse than her to be honest so from that point on i don't know if you know what's real and what's not yeah. Well, speaking of not knowing what's real or what's not, I was looking them up, and they were both in theaters in 2001. Yeah, because this wasn't out in the States until 2001. Yeah. that's right. I think that's one and, reason it didn't and get... And this wasn't released on DVD to four years later. Right, right. And then the, the other one wasn't released after the theater release eight years later. Yeah. That's crazy. I th- Yeah, I think that's one reason why people think of Audition and Ringu... They don't think of Cure and, and, and Pulse as much. Just to geek out a little more, I'm curious, Kevin, since you've, you've been mesmerized by this as much as me, there's a couple things I'm wondering. Did you notice that 
the sound of the dryer. One of the, one of the things that keeps happening in the movie is Takabe's wife keeps turning on the dryer with no clothes in it, and every day he comes home and turns it off, and then she goes and turns it back on. Did you notice how many scenes where he's out of the house, out and about, you hear the dryer humming yeah. in the background? Yeah, and vibration, design? like all of that stuff is prevalent throughout yeah. this. Like the, the very beginning is, is with the scene. The first scene is with his wife in a hospital, and there's like a vibration scene. There's that's yeah. one of the things that, that uh, Mommy uses to escape quote-unquote escape from the right, mental hospital. Right, because he's banging on the radiator making that sound, sound, my, sound. So my, I think that she was... What I think what they don't show you is that she was uh, hypnotized from the get-go. I don't think she had any mental health issues. Interesting. I think that, She may have met That's yeah. why I say I think Takabe was a target because yeah. a lot of her ailments, once you... It's the same once as... You, right. like, and again, it, it took a few times, but once I thought, oh, wait, this guy's full of shit. Like he's not, he doesn't have short term memory loss. It's a, it's a gimmick to get him to like, I'm gonna ask you the same questions over and over again, and you're gonna let your guard down because you think I'm. I was thinking Ill that too. It's to almost think. like she's been emptied out by Mamia. I think that she was. I again, I think that she a lot of what she does in the movie is similar to what he's doing. Did it's just that you're looking at him as an antagonist, and you're looking at her as a sympathetic, mentally ill character. Did you notice, and I didn't pick this up, but I, I just saw somebody else pick it up. You know, there's a couple laundromat scenes, and there are both exterior and interior shots of the laundromat. Did you notice on the exterior shot of the laundromat, next door, there's a pendulum in the window going back and forth, back and forth? No. Another thing I didn't notice, but I saw pointed out by someone else, the psychiatrist that's in the, the institution with Takabe's wife the big guy that's like doing these sessions with her. Mm -hmm. He asks, is he writing in his notebook? He's writing in German. It's not Japanese. I noticed no, that at the, yeah, the bus stop there, or something like that, there was a sign in English that said like no guns. Yes, mm. right after the cop got, or right when the cop was getting shot by the other cop. Mm. Yeah. That was weird. So what's the doctor's name? Mesmer? Mesmer is, yes. Is well, a real person. Mesmerized. Yeah, Mesmer was a real person. Yeah, and wow. that's where, yeah. And that was that was kind of the beginning. It started with the mesmerism, and that kind of led to hypnosis and animal magnetism and all this stuff. Well, just talking about how we think the wife was kind of hypnotized before, in that scene when um, the detective is interrogating the cop who shot the other cop, he hypnotizes him right then, like with yes. the light yeah. there. So maybe he was hypnotizing her before. I don't know. Maybe he was evil beforehand or Her something. death is confusing to me. That's one thing that I can't... I, I think the implication is that Takabe went and killed her after he listened to the recording. You that think very so? Very Session 9. I think a lot of Session 9 vibes in this. Yeah, because once he, once he kills Mamiya and Mamiya does the X, then the next thing he does, he goes into that room, he finds the old record player, and he listens to the recording, and the next thing they show, his wife has been X'd. And I, like walking through. I yeah. think it's implying that he went and killed her, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I guess timeline wise, again, you're at this point in the movie where you don't even know what's real anymore. Yes, but so much ambiguity. And and his friend, he am I am I correct or is there something that I'm missing? He killed himself because he knew that he, knew, he was yes. hypnotized yes. and that he was going to kill somebody. Yeah. Yep. So and he, so he handcuffed to... himself to the radiator okay. and killed himself. And yeah. do you think he did that not just because he thought 
because he knew that he was going to end up killing somebody. Do you think he was trying to break a chain? Do you think he realized what Mamiya was up to? Maybe. And that Takabe was like sort of like this end goal? Maybe. So I'll, yeah. if I kill myself, maybe I'll not just save myself having to to murder somebody, but maybe I can break this chain and like stop the entire... That's. I mean, it's going to require some more viewings, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. There, there's just there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot that's left to question, and I, I think that's what makes it so much fun to to go back to. Okay, my next pick for Kiyoshi Kurosawa Week is the 2001 film called Pulse. After college student Taguchi commits suicide, a number of young adults living in Tokyo witness terrifying visions transferred across the internet. As more people disappear throughout the city, the internet becomes a breeding ground for malevolent spirits. Three seemingly disconnected stories follow Michi, Ryosuke, and Harui as they attempt to solve the mystery behind the ghostly visions that are seeping beyond their computer monitors. I had never seen this one either. I don't know how I missed this back when I was watching every J-horror movie that... I've spent was 20 years store. assuming I saw this movie. Yeah, um, I saw so... You know, it's kind of a blur. The, the height of the J-horror boom was crazy. There were so many. I would just go to the video store. They had a J-horror section separate from the regular horror section, and I would just be picking a whatever. And some of them were very memorable, and some of them just kind of went by and be like, yeah, that wasn't very good, or I didn't get it. So I never saw Pulse, but a a lot of people, the reason that I became aware of this first, I was looking at the Kurosawa uh, Kurosawa filmography, and I was like, oh, this guy did Pulse on a lot of scariest movie lists and things like that. This is on Tubi right now. It's on Prime, and this is the second time, third time, just recently, that I have ended up watching movies both on Prime and on Tubi. They always look way better on Tubi. Prime looks like shit. All the time. Mm, interesting. And I think it's older movies. I'm not going to say that about all movies, but I think if there's any, if it's 20 years older or more, Prime just seems seems to throw up the TV aspect ratio, VCR transfer. They don't really seem to keep up with newer versions. Or they want to charge you more for like the 4K or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's I watched it. it I, mean, I watched it on Peacock. Oh, I thought it looked fine. Yeah. But well, I would say, I uh, what, okay, I didn't see that. I watched it on Prime, and then I switched over to Tubi because it just looked too crappy, and it looked better. This is a movie that asks, would you like to meet a ghost? And answers, <laughs> maybe you're the ghost. My God. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this this one really stands out. I'm really glad I saw this. This really stands out to me among its J-horror brethren of its time. I think this is a far more ambitious, has a lot more on its mind. It's it's again, you know, both of these movies are pretty cerebral and they're both slowly paced. This one is a little bit more of a straight horror to me. They're they're very different. I'm I'm interested in how different these movies are to me. We talked about how Cure is so quiet, has almost no score. It's all just sound design and stuff. This movie has tons of score. There's so much music in this. And I think this movie is about something that I think I've thought about a lot and I've thought about it even more since the pandemic. You know, we were on the road that this movie describes 
uh, this road of the whole goal of everyone's day is to have as few interactions with another human being in person as possible. So that was kind of already what we were doing. And I think it's just so smart that Kurosawa made a movie about this in 2001. We didn't even have, this was dial-up shit. You have, you have a guy <laughs> in this movie plugging in his first ever internet dial-up and right away he's possessed by it. I mean, this, <laughs> this guy was very early on the internet loneliness take. And I've been thinking about that idea more since the pandemic because I feel like that was the last thing we needed was to not only have it desirable to not ever have contact with another human being in real life, but now it's actually the only moral choice. A good person would not see anyone ever again (laughs) or they'll die. That's kind of what this is about. Kurosawa saw this coming a long way off. It's very creepy. I think this is a very scary movie. I only got to watch this two times. I love this one. Curious what you guys thought. And in 2000... One, this sort of isolation wasn't even common. Yeah. Like yeah. now you can actually do it. You can actually, if you want to just be on your phone, you can just be at home and just be on your phone. And that's the only thing you communicate All with. delivery, no people. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I, I love the, the title card. I like this movie. I thought this was definitely the more artistic of the two. Hmm. I thought it was less straight horror. I thought the other really? was more straight horror because of the gore and... Yeah. Those, I mean, in this, there's their suicide, so no one's like really killing right. anybody. I loved uh, in the last one, we had the symbolism of the X on the walls. This one, you have the stain that, that people become, and the, <laughs> yeah. someone's just talking to a stain of mold on the wall, uh, taping up the people inside the forbidden rooms and all that. Uh, I thought this was a lot more complex. It did confuse me a little bit yeah. when the two parallel storylines are running, Agreed. and I started confusing characters. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big time. I loved a lot of the cinematic choices. This is definitely more like bleak looking. If you can get more bleak than Cure, but it is <laughs> yeah. more bleak looking, and I especially love the very end shot. Is the overhead? It's the same as the the beginning shot of the boat and they change the aspect ratio and it's just like a small box in the middle of the screen and then the credits roll. But it's just such a bizarre choice after kind of like the whole movie being pretty normal uh, as far as cinematography goes, as far as edits go and all that. Uh, They did a really cool job with the... Well, I don't know what you would call the dude <laughs> the, with the pale face who looked like Robert Smith from The Cure. <laughs> um, but That's that it. was genuinely scary, Yeah, that creature. And, and the, the part that I thought was one of the best scenes I've seen in recent movies was when, the what's the kid's name, the, the, the main guy... Michi. Michi. He That's runs the at one, the thing, and you, and you expect <laughs> yeah. that he's just going to pass through the ghost. Yeah. Like, poof. And he just th- is there, like, touching his shoulders. And that moment, I thought, was a really unique uh, scare, and I, I respected yeah. it for that. Yeah. What did you think, Kevin? So I had not seen this. I, I, I think I realized what happened to me, and similar to what you said, Trent, like, I mean, this came hard and fast, like the yes. J-horror craze. Yeah. 
but it yeah. was America. The studios were so ready also for the, the remix. So you got everything. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think I got like uh, way too impressed by the Grudge remake. Yeah, what's good? I loved that. Yeah, I think loved it. I mean, I was a a buffy nerd, loved seeing Michelle Geller. Yeah. So I definitely saw the American remake of Pulse and it's fucking garbage. Yeah, uh, Wes Craven Uh, co-wrote that. Yeah, and I I spun through that again this morning. Oh, did you? Uh, Yeah, just just to prepare myself to cut it apart again. It looks terrible to me. It looks totally different to me. It's not... It's horrible. It's a different movie. It's a different movie. Yeah. Everything you both have already described so far... That somehow they like looked at all the qualities that you both just mentioned, and they were <laughs> like, "Well, we, sh- we should not do any of that." You know what, Kristen Bell? Let's get Kristen Bell. <laughs> Jesus, Christ. Ian Summerholder, come on. So I've been thinking a lot about something that Kat said uh, during my last week, which twenty-eight weeks later, Kat had mentioned how like there's no hope in that movie, so it's hard mm. to kind of enjoy it. And I realized, Jesus Christ, sometimes I pick movies or we pick movies that are just full of despair and we don't even realize it. <laughs> like we're having a grand old time. I realize it. <laughs> so I've been thinking about that as I like try to procure my next, you know, few rounds of the show. And then here comes Trent with absolute utter fucking despair week. <laughs> Woo! I did, this is like a dystopian. I didn't oh, even know this turned into such a. Luckily, unlike 28 weeks later, this is both of these films. They have a lot of despair. There aren't real happy endings, but they're incredibly intellectual. So you at least have some like, least brain have stimuli yeah, yeah. <laughs> going on here. This gave me super Romero vibes. Yeah. Gave me big yeah. time Night of the Living Dead. Even like the whole original Dead trilogy. It gave me yeah, like those yeah. types of vibes. Definitely, like, yeah. You could have done a sequel the way that this one ends. So where's the book go? They The sequel is in Spain. They're going to it wherever they're going. Yeah, it could have yeah. gone into, it could have gone into uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And they could have ended up yeah. somewhere, you know, maybe a big radio shack or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then definitely... Day of the Dead vibes, like you you see at the very end some like military aspects and like the world's going to shit. Uh, but yeah, I think my favorite part of this is I lived this in real time. Like I'm part of that generation that learned about the internet, had dial up, uh, and I had a bunch of friends that were like way, way ahead of the curve. You know, they were like beta testing cable internet in Portland and doing all this crazy shit. So I was like really young and like, you know, wow, like this is amazing. And all we saw was hope. Yeah. All we saw was potential and knowledge. And I can't believe that this was made in 2001 and that he was just like, so like just saw into the future and was like, this is going to be fucking terrible. Here's what's going to happen. This is terrible. (laughs) Like, and to your point, I've been thinking about that a lot because the pandemic forced a lot of us into like this isolation and we were even more dependent now on our window to the world, be it our laptops, our televisions, our phones, but even the workplace. So I'm I'm in a in a in a role at my job where everything went virtual and nothing has really come back. Yeah. And yeah. For better or for worse, like going to work, we can all debate, you know, how unhealthy that's become and, you know, what capitalism has done, blah, blah, blah. But at least was a a nine to five or whatever you're doing for a job, you go and you interact with other people. And you have to. Now you don't. Yeah. And it opened up this whole world, too, where now I spend more time talking to people through a laptop screen on like a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call or something all over the world, which 
everybody's convinced themselves that that's better. Well, now you can talk to somebody in Australia and you can talk to somebody in, you know, Europe and it's just very easy. Isn't that great? You're connect you're not. You're just not. Like you're not <laughs> in the room with somebody. You see their face through a computer screen. You don't get their body language, even their facial expressions. You can't really tell because now we're looking at like two or three screens at a time. So you don't know. You're talking to somebody and they're looking at a, a different screen that could have fucking solitaire or a porno <laughs> Probably up. Probably does. Like, you <laughs> or a horror no movie. Uh, so this this movie really hit hard in terms of like just getting me to think about how ahead of its time it was and how horrible. It, like yeah. I mean, it's probably even worse than he imagined. Yeah. But it was terrifying. Just like the other movie, this doesn't have like that signature scene that The Ring and these other ones do. Other than there's like the one scene where the forbidden room comes into play, that that scene is fucking terrifying. Yeah. So it's when I can't remember his name, but one of the uh, flower shop employees yeah. finds the forbidden room, sees a ghost, hides behind a couch, oh, and the couch the looks couch. just like the one sitting here that Dave's sitting <laughs> on, <laughs> and the ghost just like I, I get goosebumps, like just. Yeah. Just the hands over the edge, and the ghost comes up. It's the very cliche sort of like uh, grudge type face, uh, but yep. oh god, that was terrifying. Yeah, I disagree a little bit, Dave. That the end guy, the whole scene itself, the premise was terrifying. The dialogue was terrifying. The special effects don't quite hold up, uh, like Staticky Man. But I, I did man. what he said, and the fact that all of a sudden, um, what's his name? I got it here. It's uh, Kawashima. That he touches them. Like, that was just like, whoa, mind blown. What was the come true? It reminded me of the, oh, yeah. the oh, nice. dream yeah. people yeah. in come true a little bit who also look, they look a little sus. But if you can scare me with a low budget like that and just having some guy all blurred out, like, yeah, yeah good job. Yeah. Anyway, this one's fantastic. I didn't quite get to go down the rabbit hole because I dedicated all of my time I, to I know, Cure. I know. Um, Same. But I will say that this also, um, Black. it just reminded me that everybody in the world has to go watch every episode of Black Mirror that is out there uh, because that is sort of like a continuation of like this techno horror thing. I think this is a prime example of how Hollywood ruins Japanese <laughs> horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my biggest takeaway um, from this had, week. Had you seen the remake before this? I watched the remake in high school. Yeah, because oh, it came out in 2006. Okay. I was prime. Oh, so I was you knew right all in the, the thick remake. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gotcha. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be crazy. It's scary. I love that. Oh my God. It haunts me now <laughs> watching the original. Back in my back in my younger days, 2006, just like living it up, uh, living the dream, watching every Kristen Bell movie after uh, Veronica Mars that I could get my little hands on. Yeah, awful trash. This is the very film that they make a fictional version of and make fun of for her character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. There's a really funny scene where she's playing basically herself but like a fictionalized version of herself and forgetting sarah marshall and they're talking about oh the phones are evil but she's like listen it was a commentary on like it was important so that's all i think of when i'm like throwing this movie on but very obviously pleasantly surprised i did not rewatch uh the remake uh because i either didn't have time or didn't have enough brain space uh to to watch that film again it obviously does not hold a candle to this beautiful film because not only did that stupid movie take the interesting and creepy story and give it like a classic Hollywood spin, 
but it gave it the mid aughts treatment, like which is just like hot babes and like yeah. You know, I don't think yeah. there were any boobs. I think it was probably like PG thirteen, but like it just did it so dirty that watching this movie this week was just a beautiful, a beautiful nice. moment for me. So that was nice. The beauty in this one, I think, comparatively, is that it's like it's slow. But it's paced well. Like it's a long. It's like two hours. But yeah, it's it's paced in like the suspenseful way that I think makes it um, successful. Doesn't have like it has like the end of the world vibe like towards the end. But it's not like a gotta save the world. Blah blah. blah. They're just trying to figure out like what's going on and like connect with each other. I think through it, it makes it into like it's a scary, but it's a beautiful story about like loneliness and like how like the ghosts keep saying you know. Death is really lonely, so, like, we're here. We're coming back. Whereas, you know, the other one was just kind of just, like, you know, technology's evil kind of a thing. So, especially, like, towards the end, like, when she's talking about, like, with her friend who, like, disappears. She's like, oh, I'm finally with my friend. Like, but It's, like, a beautiful story that's also terrifying because that scene that Kevin was just talking about with the girl like creeping over the top of the couch. I hate to be a cliche of someone that watches horror movies, but I was alone literally with my (laughs) eyes covered and like peeking out. I'm like, is it going to be like the grudge? Like I, it was a a very impactful moment. Special effects. I wouldn't say that they're successful the whole time. Like, yes, the staticky dude is a little like wonky, but it was still powerful in that like when he's creeping from the shadows and like coming up on that guy, I was again, like kind of trying to stay away, like kind of half watch it, like out of my good eye kind of a situation. Not really any gore in this, but right off the bat, we get the guy who's hung himself and that is just a terrifying, it's the The thickest neck. neck. It's like, Yeah. yeah, it, that, was very impactful. So even though it doesn't have like all this blood and stuff, there's these moments of practical effects that you're like, ooh, that kind of like irk you. Yeah. It could benefit from a rewatch for sure, especially because like Dave said, with like these intertwining stories, I was confused for sure because I'm like, who is this man? Who are these? Also, I'm confused. Why do that many people have to work in a flower shop that seems to not have any customers? (laughs) Why do they have a computer guy? I just crew. don't understand. Yeah. No, he's doing ads. Well, I mean, early okay. internet, pre-online ordering. They okay. got to drive that shit around. I mean, I get. Sure. Well, no, I don't know. Here, it was, yeah. That's my only. That's the only flaw in this film is that not many people want want plants. I liked this one also. It had the same actor too, right? Am I crazy? For a minute, yeah. yeah at for the a beginning hot and the end, yeah, has to copy. one yeah. hot men. Yeah. So, good week. I mean, the effects in this to me are consistent with early with 2001 internet that that's the thing that to me about the effects a lot of the stuff is happening either on a an old monitor i was surprised you know this there were some um, flat screens in this though or flatter than i had in 2001 <laughs> these guys were way ahead of the curve but there you know everything that's happening is sort of in this early internet dial up low bit ratio or whatever realm so i thought you know, that didn't bother me. I just, I thought that kind of worked with the mood. The other thing that I liked about the mood in this, and I think there's one of the similarities between this and Cure, is that everything happens in these giant, big, open, dilapidated old buildings in these giant rooms. You'll notice, like, in Cure, the the nurse examination room at the hospital, just doing routine exams, it's in a gigantic, huge room, and it's old. And this movie does the same thing. 
everything in the, is in these big old dilapidated rundown places and it's really unsettling and creepy and kurosawa talks about that a little bit on uh the criterion bonus stuff he talks about at this time in japan they couldn't build sets they had no ability and, and finance to build sets so they would have to look for cool places to do these different scenes and he would always look for because so much of japan at that time where he was was brand new and gleaming and nice he really had to go around and look for places that were about to be demolished and places that were run down kind of stage these scene give it that creep factor i think that works i thought that the uh the monitor suicide monitor scenes they kind of pulled off like what skinnamarink was trying to do as yeah, far I was as like about that too what yeah. you're looking at and um, yes what's happening and i thought the the glitchiness of them was was cool yeah also this has another thing that's reminds me of like modern films is like the people drawn together by the mystery like in something in the dirt kind of you know there's like a mystery and yeah they kind of are experiencing it at the same time so they kind of you get these slapstick buddies that are trying to figure out you know the the character w- thing was a little bit confusing yeah you sh- yeah first. i think it's if you haven't seen pulse there's two separate storylines going on they, ca- they come and together at the end they come together but, but it's it's two different stories and two different sets of characters and it gets a little bit confusing because it keeps cutting back and forth and it doesn't really uh, spoon feed it to you. i was confused the first time i was mixing up this character with that and yeah and also when you go to look online they tell you the, they don't. Whoever is writing synopses on the internet, they didn't do it like chronologically. They literally told one story and then the other one. So I'm like right. trying to like figure. Yeah. I'm like, wait, did all this happen in like 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah. What? So it's like me like trying to figure it out. Did anyone get into any uh, a third Kurosawa movie? No, I didn't have time. Uh, no, yeah. Next week I'll come in. I'll give you at least one review of, of another <laughs> one. I want to check out Creepy from 2016. He's also got another one called Retribution. He's made a bunch of horror movies and psychological thrillers. He's also made a ton of non-horror. He's done drama. He's done romance. He's done all kinds of stuff. A lot of TV. He's got like 25 feature films, and then on top of that, all the V cinema stuff and television stuff. So I'm going to be definitely. I'm going to be hitting up more Kurosawa. The one thing that I will say uh, when we're talking about like, well, two things actually. One, the second sort of story, even though they kind of go back and forth, where he's, it's a, a grad student who is running like a computer lab. Yeah. And she's got another student that has built this program that's just dots on a screen. Yeah. And she says like this, like, you know, grad student developed this program if the dots get too close they die but if they get too far apart they're magnetically pulled back to one another yeah i could have watched that like they only show it for like six seconds i want that program because i would sit and watch that for like hours (laughs) it was so relaxing and and mesmerizing that's funny because the character that comes in he, he's so he's so interested in that. He's like, oh, what is this? And I was thinking, it's called a screensaver, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be seeing a lot more of those uh, pretty soon. Uh, but the other thing to to kind of piggyback on the the films that you see, or the the when you're when you're glimpsing into the world of a ghost or whatever. Yeah, that was so far ahead of its time because. Yes, like we had the internet at this time, and obviously he was kind of trying to look into the future as to what it could do, but nobody thought about like how much the internet would turn into like voyeurism and like reality, you know, 
like uh, uh, not chat rooms, but like these like video rooms and like all that. That was way ahead of its yeah. time there. Yeah. Uh, and I love it. I love how much just already in a lot of the movies we've talked about this year, there's like very early usage of like surveillance and like found footage type stuff. Uh, that's really well done for being so far back. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's even just internet that, is, is being talked about in this. I, I read a really interesting kind of review essay on this, and it talked about, besides just the internet, it talked about just object. You're just constantly relating to an object, be it the internet or be it video games. That, that one character, you can see his whole apartment is all video um, controllers and stuff like that. All the cans of Coke that he's got stacked up everywhere, all the smoking. It's like not only just, you know, being online, but... Everything that you're doing is this sort of object relationship. It's not a person. It's something. It's a consumption culture or it's relating to an object instead of a person. So it's even even wider than just the web. Well, did you look up Hikikomori? No. So Hikikomori is um, something. It start, it's, well, it's obviously a Japanese word, but it's uh, a name given to an epidemic in Japan, mostly amongst younger generations of complete dissociation and withdrawal and how this huge percentage of the population in a lot of younger generations, but now more prevalent in because the of the technology. Well. Yes, so it's been adopted in different terminologies like around the world now, but Japan was one of the first countries to really sort of like define it yeah. and actually have experts start looking at like what the hell is going on with, <laughs> is with our youth depressed? and our society. So exactly, like total... Like it's it's like turning like agoraphobia was going up and yeah, yeah. and all of this stuff. Uh, it's an it's an interesting read, but this yeah. this obviously I think likely it was being discussed at this time. I'm guessing, and that yeah. was this probably one of the yeah. you know societal aspects of it. One of my favorite lines in this was I think it was kind of indicative of some of the relationships in this. The friends, even though you know they worked together and they were friends, they were kind of all like a little stilted and a little bit weird with each other. One of my favorite lines is when someone I don't know if it was uh, Junko or uh, Michi. She says, "Let's act normal." Even in the in the midst of all these people dying and disappearing, their friends are like, "Well, let's act normal." <laughs> Next week. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the gutter. Yes. My mad nauseum week. Oh. Uh, I'm going with 2023's Bo is Afraid. Wow. Whopping three plus hours. And then I am going with 2017's The Evil Within. 15 years in the making. Crystal meth. Crazy, crazy backstory. (laughs) Quite a cinematic triumph 